Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. I'm going to direct your attention back to the reading that Matthew just read for us. Because, as you may or may not know, roughly half of the books in the New Testament were either written by or attributed to the Apostle Paul. Thirteen books in the New Testament, in fact, bear Paul's name. Because of how the lectionary is structured, we read two New Testament texts every Sunday morning, one of which is always from the Gospels, but the second New Testament text is very often from one of Paul's letters. So we hear a lot of Paul read from this lectern. Already in Lent, we've heard from four of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, and now Philippians. Actually, this is the second time we've read from Philippians this Lent. But I'll be honest, I've heard very few sermons that focus primarily on the reading from Paul. And I include my own sermons here. I've preached um, on Jesus in the Gospels quite a few times, and sometimes I even weave in some of the Old Testament readings into my sermons, but often the reading from Paul goes ignored. There's a New Testament scholar whose work I really appreciate named J.R. Daniel Kirk, and he wrote a wonderful book with a great title, Jesus Have I Loved, But Paul? He actually puts that question mark in the title. Jesus have I loved, but Paul? Question mark. On the first page of that book, he recalls a conversation that he had with his grandfather, which I'll quote. Now that Paul is out of your system, my grandfather said, how about a book on Jesus, who actually got Christianity right, rather than writing about that rascal Paul who mucked everything up? I had just received a contract for my first book, a study of Paul's letter to the Romans, and though my grandfather's suggestion was playful, it also reflected genuine misgivings he harbors about Paul. My grandfather is not alone in these concerns. Kirk's grandfather wanted Jesus. He could do without Paul. I'm sure that at least some of you can identify with this conversation. Despite being credited with writing half of the New Testament, the church has, and has had, a complicated relationship with Paul, to put it mildly. But you might be comforted to know that our complicated relationship with Paul can be traced all the way back to the New Testament itself. So just a few decades after Paul's death, the author of 2 Peter wrote this, and here I'm quoting directly from the New Testament. Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Now stop there for just a minute. If you struggle to understand some parts of Paul's letters, you're in good company. Here is one of the authors of the New Testament saying how difficult it can be to understand Paul's letters. So you can let yourself off the hook the next time you're having a hard time with Paul. But let me read the rest of the quote. And here again, I'm reading from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. 
Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. And this is what I think is the crux of the matter. This is why the church has a complicated relationship with Paul, why Kirk's grandfather could say that Paul mucked everything up. Paul can be difficult to interpret, yes, but more than any other author of scripture, it seems, Paul's writings have been twisted and distorted, often to disastrous effect. Howard Thurman was a theologian and mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. Thurman's grandmother, in her youth, was enslaved in the American South. And while later in life she would often ask her grandson to read scripture to her, she never wanted to hear the letters of Paul because she could still remember white ministers quoting, slaves obey your earthly masters from Ephesians and Colossians as a way of granting biblical justification to a brutal and inhumane system. Distorted and twisted readings of Paul have been used to justify slavery, patriarchy, homophobia, and anti-Semitism. One of my core convictions is that scripture, poorly interpreted, can be a dangerous thing. And Paul has been poorly interpreted perhaps more than any other author of scripture. And so, as a church, part of why we have a complicated relationship with Paul is because we've often allowed those distorted and twisted readings of Paul to shape our understanding of the type of Christian he was. But if we clear away some of those distortions and misinterpretations, Paul's vision of the Christian life has something important to offer the church about what it means to follow Jesus, the crucified Messiah. So with that, let's turn to Philippians, today's reading. It's easy to forget that we call these books the letters of Paul for a reason. Paul was a missionary and a pastor. Paul started churches across the Mediterranean world. And what we have in the New Testament are actual letters that he wrote to actual churches. Real communities with real people, real stories, and real challenges. Paul's letters are not abstract theological treatises. Paul's letters are pastoral, written to address actual circumstances, written to address new believers who were trying to navigate what it meant to follow Jesus in a complicated world. When Paul wrote Philippians, he was writing during a period of profound personal suffering. He wrote this letter to the Philippian church from a jail cell somewhere in the Roman Empire. Paul's confession that Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord, often put him in conflict with the Roman authorities. So this was not the first time that Paul sat in a Roman prison, and it wouldn't be the last. But in the midst of suffering, Paul was joyful, and he encouraged the Philippian church to rejoice in the midst of their own suffering as well. Like Paul, the Philippians were also living through a time of suffering. At the beginning of the letter, Paul refers to the fact that opponents of the church are trying to intimidate them, but he commends the Philippian church for standing firm despite this experience of suffering. Because Philippi was a Roman colony, 
with a heavy imperial presence, it's likely that the Philippian church had become a target of persecution because of the perception that it was anti-Roman. So like Paul, their confession of Jesus as Lord had gotten them into trouble with the Roman authorities. So in Philippians, when Paul tells the church that their citizenship is in heaven, what he means to tell them is that they are not citizens of Rome, whose Lord Caesar offers peace through power and might, but they are citizens of the kingdom of God, whose Lord Jesus offers peace through lowliness, humility, and suffering. As followers of Christ, Paul tells the Philippian church that they are to follow not the way of the sword, but the way of the cross. To follow the example of Lord Jesus, not Lord Caesar. Paul talks about the exaltation of the Lord Jesus in Philippians, but he's insistent that the exaltation of Jesus comes through suffering and humility, not through power and conquest. In one of the most profound passages in the entire New Testament, Philippians 2, just a few verses before today's reading, Paul writes this, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for Paul, the Christian life is modeled on the example of Jesus, who emptied himself, was humble in obedience, and accepted the consequences of faithfulness to God's call. For Paul, the way to know Jesus is to live as Jesus lived, as we see in today's reading from Philippians. Paul begins today's reading by saying that if anyone has reason to be confident in their privileges, achievements, and credentials, it's him. Paul's resume is impeccable, but he's willing to part with, to set aside all those markers of status and accomplishment in order to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And those two things are intimately connected in this passage. To know Christ, we must live as Christ lived. To experience the power of the resurrection, we must follow the way of the cross and share in his sufferings. Not that we go looking for suffering, but following Christ involves accepting the consequences of faithfulness to God's call. Like Paul and the Philippians, whose commitments to the Lord Jesus put them at odds with Lord Caesar and the Roman Empire. Like Paul and the Philippians, who were willing to endure prison and opposition from the Roman authorities in their pursuit of God's calling. If we cling to our markers of success, status, and accomplishment, those things that give us a prideful confidence in our own righteousness, we'll never experience the righteousness from God that we gain through a life of humble obedience to the way of Jesus.
Now, over the years, far too many Christians have read Philippians 3, today's passage, as Paul's repudiation of Judaism, as if Paul's rejection of a prideful embrace of privileges, achievements, and credentials is a rejection of Judaism itself. But nothing could be further from the truth. What Paul is repudiating, what Paul is rejecting, is not Judaism, but the human tendency to boast in our own privileges, achievements, and credentials, no matter what they are. Paul was Jewish, and so his markers of status and accomplishment were specifically related to his Jewish identity. But the logic of his argument applies to any marker of status and accomplishment, any privilege, any achievement, any credential. What Paul is doing is inviting all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, to loosen our grip on those markers of status and accomplishment that make us secure in our own righteousness. Because knowing Christ means following Christ's example. The example of the one who did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. So I leave us with this question. What would it look like for individuals, for the church, to follow, truly follow the example of Jesus, to surrender, to cast aside, to regard as rubbish, our markers of status and accomplishment, our privileges, our achievements, and our credentials, to stand before God and the world with nothing except the desire to know Christ, to live as Christ lived, so that we might truly experience the power of his resurrection. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.